0: Hello out there, I'm Whitney, and I'm Will, and you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes.
1: This is episode 16, Kid Supers. In this episode, we talk about different superheroes and super teams who fall on the younger side, from Robin the Boy Wonder to the Young Avengers. So today we are back to a discussion of a pretty common and pretty iconic superhero concept of the kid sidekick and kid superhero kids read superhero comics kids like characters that they can relate to kids are going to be more interested in superhero comics that involve kids that are at least ostensibly like them and we can i think get into how much these kid superheroes are and aren't like actual kids but that seems like it was at least the original motivator for a lot of these characters and for many of them at least as far as the creation of these characters go, probably still is, at least in some extent.
0: Yeah, I think it's maybe slightly more complicated given that comics also cater to like adult audiences as well. It's not just like, you know, yeah, kids yeah. picking this up with their allowance anymore. It's not quite like that. Yeah, but like I, mean, I I do think there's a lot of truth to what you said.
1: These days I think it's very different. I'm just kind of thinking of where the kid superhero trope originally came from and at least some of what got it to persist as long as it has and mm-hmm. to the point that it's become a pretty iconic part of the genre yeah for sure i guess the logical starting point is with some of the most iconic but also the earliest of these kind of the originators of the trope like obviously robin the boy wonder who first appeared as Batman's sidekick way back in 1940 only a few years into his creation really and i don't think it would have been very too long after it might have even been slightly before That they introduced Bucky Barnes with the debut of Captain America. Actually,
0: yeah. No, it would have been just a few months later when Bucky debuted. Because he did, you're right, he did debut in the very first issue of Captain America. There's that old blurb below, and featuring his young sidekick, Bucky, right below Cap, sucker-punching Adolf Hitler.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, I think, that that was introduced with Cap, whereas Robin took at least a few years to come along.
0: Yeah, I don't know, it'd be interesting to look at, I don't know, like sales figures and stuff like that, or like response to Robin to see if Bucky was added in direct response to Robin and his, what I assume would be his success as a character. Maybe. I'm not sure, that'd be interesting to look at. I have no idea where you would start, but, hmm, yeah, fun.
1: And I guess the big thing is that back then, I don't know necessarily how much the... Superhero comics then were similar to the superhero comics of the Silver Age or later, in that I'm not sure exactly how much serious violence and stuff these characters might have been facing at the time.
0: Hmm. I do remember reading that Golden Age Cap was pretty violent. I don't know how much of that violence was either visited on or inflicted by Bucky, though.
1: Yeah. Okay, this is kind of something that you just have to set out because there are a lot of things in superhero comics that require a certain amount of suspension of disbelief
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that the kid's sidekick trope while fun and iconic and i don't have a problem with the trope existing in any capacity it does require you to suspend your disbelief a little bit as far as whether it is at all reasonable for these grown people to be enlisting children in their particularly dangerous pursuits
0: yeah you know it's interesting that you should bring that up because and admittedly i haven't read the entirety of this book but kitty bros's book the poster children is sort of like a superhero academy sort of thing actually calls out that exact point you just raised i think it goes a little bit into the ethics of having kids superheroes at least from what i've read
1: and it's like there are
0: issues with it
1: yeah And this gets explored, I think, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, there are Batman comics and other comics involving kids' sidekicks that absolutely do not give him a free pass for doing this sort of thing. And there are times where they're called out on it, etc. And this is, as I understand it, more of a trope of the later eras. Not just the modern age, but also like the dark age and stuff. Once you have books like Watchmen that are taking all these things that people usually just suspend disbelief at and really examining them more critically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that probably would be around when you really start to see people taking the kid sidekick thing and being like, okay.
0: Maybe but not. But this is
1: actually pretty obviously not an okay thing to do. Yeah. And to be clear, like this isn't to say that I don't like the kid sidekick trope or some of these kid sidekick characters, because... They are fun characters, they create an interesting dynamic, and especially in the superhero works that are more family-friendly or more actually aimed towards kids, you know, I think there's a lot of value in having characters like that, and they can be fun to write and fun to read and watch and whatnot. So, basically, long story short, I guess there's room for the embracing of the positive aspects of the trope, as well as examining, I guess, what you could call the darker side of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's also interesting to me how the kid sidekick tropes, and this is sort of a total left turn here, but how <laughs> they are different between Marvel's publication history and DC's. How so? Well, DC has Robin, and I don't know if you've noticed, but Robin kind of took off.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um,
1: In that, basically since his introduction, Batman has usually pad Robin as a sidekick in
0: or some Robin or another
1: yeah because there are multiple Robins like four over the quote unquote main continuity and a few others in side books and Mm -hmm. temporary roles and whatnot. okay yeah But it seems like after the success of Robin, DC would go on to introduce other similar characters for some, though not all of their iconic heroes, like...
0: Are you talking like Superboy and Wonder Girl, or what? Superboy,
1: I think less so, just because he was initially introduced, I think, as a character back in... And this is me kind of spitballing what I vaguely know about the character, I haven't looked this up exactly... But as I understand it, Superboy was was originally introduced as just the young Clark Kent.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And
1: it's basically just, oh, here's Superman as a boy. Hmm. And it's more like kid-friendly, uh, silver-agey stories back then.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: And then, like as time went on, they introduced a separate Superboy, and there's been a few different Superboy characters through the ages, but usually they're either. Clark Kent himself, as a young version of himself, that was mostly very early on, or they're a Superman clone or something who works more, at least as far as I've seen them, more works with the Teen Titans or whoever else at the time rather than a direct psychic of Superman. Actually, I think Jimmy Olsen could be a more slightly more is, analogous yeah. to like a kid psychic to Superman.
0: Yeah, I can see that. But he's <laughs> a little
1: bit. Different in that he doesn't really get pulled in for help with superhero stuff most of the time and is more just a friend who gets embroiled in stuff similar to Lois Lane.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But yeah, the characters I'm thinking of more are Kid Flash and, like you mentioned, Wonder Girl, Mm -hmm. the multiple incarnations of Wonder Girl that there have been.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense.
1: Like Kid Flash, who was originally sort of a sidekick to Barry Allen, Wally West, Started out as Kid Flash and, interestingly, eventually graduated to being Flash full-time. And there are people out there who consider Wally West to be the Flash and Barry Allen almost... I don't want to say a precursor necessarily, just... But, you know, there's some people who prefer Wally West as a character to Barry Allen. Honestly, I don't know enough detail about their characters to really make too much distinction between them, honestly. Their personalities do seem similar enough... But also, I've read very little of Flash comics or seen both of them together.
0: Yeah, I know basically nothing about Flash. All I know is I adore Kenan Lonsdale. That's it. That's all I know.
1: Yeah. And Wonder Girl was a sort of sidekick to Wonder Woman, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Originally Donna Troy. And then Cassie Scansmark was a later one. right yeah i've read
0: about cassie a little bit
1: yeah in like the wonder woman comics you read cassie had a pretty significant role and donna was in the first like teen titans book i read Hmm. which featured kid flash and robin as well
0: ha interesting
1: and that's actually an interesting uh, sort of thing because...
0: Is this the Teen Titans omnibus you were reading? The giant one?
1: No, this was oh, the very one old one I read in the 70s.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because that one, the new Teen Titans by, I believe, Marv Wolfman and George Perez was the artist. Mm-hmm. It sort of spun out of the original Teen Titans, which was more like backup stories in other comics and mm-hmm. featured Robin, Kid Flash, and Wonder Girl and maybe one or two other characters. And there's sort of a foreword about it in that book I read where I think Wolfman was one who wrote it, who talked about how back when he was a kid and reading those books, the kids involved didn't really sound or act like what he really believed kids would act like, basically, Mm -hmm. or teenagers or whatever. And so that when he was writing the New Teen Titans, he tried more consciously to have them be more believable as teenagers makes sense yeah which i think he was somewhat successful with i don't have the very old comics compared to but knowing how silly and somewhat heavy on dialogue those could get
0: yeah good god i only saw glimpses of the older ones you were reading but very dense
1: yeah but you know the teen titans then i mean it's obviously comic books and even in the 70s, they didn't really write in supernatural ways all the time. Hmm. And by supernatural ways, I mean they didn't write in ways that were very natural all the time. It does feel in those books, though, that the kids are at least a little more believable. That's fair. And they, you know, Beast Boy drops references to Empire Strikes Back, which was a new movie at the time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> And yeah, that one was interesting because it introduced, not introduced, but it had those three characters of Robin and Kid Flash and Wonder Girl, but it also introduced like new characters who were also teenagers, but weren't sidekicks to anybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we already know them of Cyborg, Beast Boy, Starfire, and Raven.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Who together made a pretty diverse team. It was pretty interesting to read about, especially seeing because... Back in like the mid-2000s or so, I watched the original Teen Titans cartoon, which featured all those characters minus Kid Flash and Wonder Girl. Mm-hmm. Although it did have Kid Flash, he just wasn't a main member of the team. Fair. And it was interesting to see how they had originally been written, and how ridiculous Starfire's original outfit was.
0: Oh god, that outfit! Anyway...
1: I sort of started on this tangent talking about the differences between like DC and Marvel and their characters because while DC had those kids, sidekicks, and eventually spun out a group book based on them, Marvel doesn't really seem to have any major characters like that besides Bucky who, as we all know, eventually is written out of the series dying as Captain America gets frozen.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And then once Captain America is thought out with the beginning of the Avengers, Bucky is essentially dead as far as the story goes until he's brought back in the Brubaker run as the Winter Soldier, which is much later.
0: Yeah, see, I didn't know until recently that he was only resurrected with Brubaker's run. I did not know that.
1: Yeah, and that's not necessarily that Bucky was dead from World War II to 2004 or five or whenever that was, mm-hmm. just because there had been other captain america's and bucky's around a
0: lot of of imposter bucky's we talked about the
1: commie smasher cap and he had his own bucky right yeah but i think as over the course of that extended run there were like some incarnations of the series which are now of like variable levels of really accounted for in the story but there have been multiple people to act as bucky and actually one of the first things the winter soldier is introduced as doing is going back and tracking down and killing most of those people
0: Oh, yikes. That's not good. Yep. Okay.
1: But be that as it may, the Marvel doesn't really have any kid sidekicks besides that that I can think of.
0: Yeah, certainly none of there them are, as, like, immensely popular as Robin, I don't think.
1: Yeah. There are other characters, certainly, who are younger and are mentored by older characters, but mm-hmm. I can't think of anyone who has the Batman and Robin or Kid Flash and Flash dynamic besides Captain America and Bucky. Yeah. But what Marvel does have is some pretty prominent kid heroes who stand on their own, or as part of a team of themselves, rather than being sidekicks. And the characters I'm thinking of are Spider-Man, and separately but similarly sort of the X-Men.
0: Yeah. Aren't the original X-Men all teenagers when they're introduced?
1: Yeah, they are all students at Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters right, or whatever. Right, yeah,
0: yeah, I remember reading that now. You know, Whereas, okay, something that never made sense to me was the do adults just keep hanging out at Xavier's Academy even when they're not technically going to school there? Because I feel like the building tends to be like a mutant hangout regardless of whether people are like going to school there.
1: Yeah. Do you never really
0: graduate from the Savior Academy?
1: (laughs) Usually, I think, when they're based out of a school, especially like in the Jean Grey school later on, most of the adult characters are staff or faculty at the school.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: But I mean, Spider-Man is iconic and he was introduced as a high school student and while well, he took a little longer than most of us to get there, he eventually grew out of that, went through college.
0: Yeah, you've said some interesting things about grown-up Peter Parker.
1: Yeah, he's gone through a lot of the usual stages of life, you know, of he graduated high school, he went to college, he...
0: Where did he go to college, by the way? I don't know. Huh.
1: Probably somewhere in, like, New York, Empire State University or something, I don't know.
0: Probably, that makes sense.
1: He graduated from college, he got married, he sold his marriage to the devil to save his aunt. But that's a story for another time. And I think Spider-Man is interesting just in how he's in the main universe. He, one more day aside, he has had some interesting progressions, some of which have been pretty much permanent by necessity. Compared to a lot of characters, especially ones who are introduced as adults who don't really age in any significant capacity, and nobody really questions that because of comic book time and all that. And there's been some interesting stories, I think, with 616 Peter that they would never be able to do with a high school kid, like Mm -hmm. the whole starting, not starting, but joining his own company and ending up running Parker Industries, which didn't last forever, but was interesting while it did.
0: Very few things last forever in comics.
1: Yeah, and Peter's particularly interesting, not unique, but one of the more iconic ones in how, at least when he's a high school student, he's doing that really entirely of his own accord. You know, people don't know that he's a high school kid. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, isn't he basically the only one of the Avengers who actively maintains a secret identity?
1: That's in the more modern era, but yes, he is there at that point. Um, Because it's only really in modern era in a lot of cases that these characters are giving up their secret identities. Right, yeah. But yeah, he does have a secret identity for most of that period. But I would like to give a couple of shout outs to two other Peter Parkers in two other universes, specifically Ultimate Spider-Man, who is...
0: How did you phrase it before? Like, basically one of maybe two characters in the entire Ultimate Universe who isn't a dick?
1: I mean, yeah. And admittedly, that's a somewhat harsh characterization of the Ultimate Universe, but (laughs) Ultimate Spider-Man is a more modern story that is, I think, really well done. It's... A little bit dated but i think the thing with having kid characters like this is that they're always going to end up being a little bit dated because by their nature they sort of have to be a little more of the times i guess
0: that's fair yeah
1: you know and so that's like a
0: like there is no evergreen pop cultural reference you can have him make not really
1: yeah but it's a pretty good series. It has a modern rendition of a young Peter Parker. And I think it has a pretty good examination of a character who is a superhero at that age and the sort of challenges that they have mm-hmm. and a lot of the losses they face. because Psychological like
0: implications.
1: Yeah, like we've said before, not necessarily psychological, uh, at least in all the time. But like I said, the world really craps on Spider-Man.
0: Oh my god, yeah. And that's
1: the case with the Ultimate Universe too.
0: Yeah, yeah, you've mentioned this before.
1: Yeah, and it is to an extent true with the Peter Parker of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. No. Although a little less so. Yeah, we've only seen a bit of him so far, but I think Tom Holland's Spider-Man is a really good and like sincere rendition of the character that feels yeah. very much in the spirit of Spider-Man. As well as being a believable, very young character
0: oh definitely i agree and this is coming for somebody me who thought andrew garfield was actually really good as spider-man i liked his spider-man but tom holland is amazing
1: yeah and as we go on there's also the x-men yeah who as you mentioned briefly, they were yeah. originally a students at professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters mm-hmm. i haven't read the original x-men comics but i feel like it's a little weird for the school to consist of five students and one teacher
0: they get a lot of personal attention that way yeah yeah i can, but, ima- I can imagine i spinning it as like a really great yeah. learning environment for kids with like learning difficulties or whatnot lots of attention from the teacher
1: but yeah much later on they have a lot more mutants in the school and that's more believable as an actual school
0: considering things from this angle what do you make of the fact that in you know the x world or whatever like mutant superpowers I believe usually, if not always, emerge at puberty. Well
1: it's an interesting metaphor on a few levels, because the first obvious step is, oh, every like teenager is going through puberty and their body is doing strange things and hmm. blah blah blah. And with these particular characters those strange things include growing wings and, and
0: ice formation.
1: Ice formations and shooting punches from the punch dimension out of their eyes. Google Wait it.
0: Wh- who now? What?
1: Psychops. Google it. I oh do not have time to explain it right now. Okay.
0: Yeah, and I do remember um, reading that was supposed to be that so particular move was meant to make the characters more, you know, relatable to teenagers.
1: Yeah. And it's in more modern eras, the metaphor for queerness of various kinds is I yeah. think a lot more clear and is used more deliberately as metaphor or subtext.
0: Yeah. Although back in the day, Stanley more meant it as an allegory for racism than anything, which we can talk in another episode about how well that actually went yeah, over. Yeah, that's but. definitely
1: a lot, of, a lot of episode material there. Oh, for sure. But I think it's also worth at least touching on it because, you know, in social justice causes like that, younger demographics are almost across the board going to be overall more supportive of causes like that. Mm hmm. And Mm -hmm. so having this younger team of characters who are metaphors for causes that younger people would be more likely to support makes some degree of sense, at least. We'll surely talk about that more in other episodes.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to brush across a big span of time here, and (laughs) I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the kid superhero teams and all that that we've read and watched because i think from both dc and marvel there's some interesting dynamics coming out of this yeah definitely marvel's x-men has had about a million different incarnations over the decades and it's interesting just in that there are a lot of different x-teams and some of them end up being mostly kids but a fair chunk of them also end up being composed of mostly or entirely adults in a lot of cases, adults that were originally on the X-Men as kids, <coughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: including you know all of the original five X-Men, mm-hmm. and characters like Kitty Pride, who was yeah. introduced in sort of that second wave. And I'm not going to be specific about this, but I have always found the stories of newer mutants, not new mutants specifically, mind you, but <laughs> younger mutants who are a little less established in the X-Men universe and have the opportunities to form new relationships and build new teams and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: you end up with waves of X-Men almost where there's newer characters who are much younger who are getting introduced pretty consistently just by the virtue of how the X-Men work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those will get, like, recycled into other teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they'll be like background characters for a while in stuff like Wolverine and X Men where they're starting at school. But X Men aside, I think it's interesting how a lot of Marvel's young super teams, especially the more modern ones that we have now or have had recently, mm-hmm. sort of work. In what sense? Um, in that the ones I'm thinking of particularly are the Young Avengers and the Champions. Mm-hmm. There's also the Runaways, who we have a whole episode about, mm-hmm. and they're sort of unique, I think, just in how they initially don't really act as superheroes, but...
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of right.
1: ...are more like acting just to keep themselves safe. As things go on, they sort of end up taking more of a superhero role in some stories, but... definitely. They're still not really like putting on costumes and wearing spandex. And most of them aren't using nicknames. Oh god, yeah, the they have a
0: couple dumb nicknames early on.
1: Besides Molly, who isn't always will really be Princess Powerful.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. That is not a dumb nickname. That is the best nickname. And she's the best.
1: Yeah. And meanwhile we have the young Avengers who were originally introduced in the very early two thousands, just after Avengers disassembled. It's actually kind of interesting how they sort of came together because they were initially very explicitly like, sort of imitating the personas of different Avengers. Like, Billy and Teddy, who now go by Wiccan and Hulkling. Billy was at that point going by Asgardian and deliberately trying to seem like Thor. <clears throat> um, well, Teddy was still going by Hulkling, but was more trying to imitate the Hulk than he was later on. hmm um, And then you had... Eli Bradley as Patriot, and...
0: Right, yeah, I always forget about him.
1: Yeah, and Iron Lad... I
0: always forget who's was in Young Avengers.
1: Yeah, and Iron Lad, who was sort of a time traveler, and there's some spoilers as to what he turns out to be, but they start out as sort of a team that is one-to-one young versions of Avengers, even though some of the powers don't really line up. Yeah, Billy then,
0: is one of scarlet witch's kids correct
1: yeah billy and speed whose actual name i don't remember have this weird thing of them being originally like hallucinations that scarlet witch created when she had her little psychological breakdown and then her chaos powers turn created them as actual people with families of their own who were teenagers it's Weird, and I don't really understand it. (laughs) And it's really more of a hand-wavy thing to create them in the first place. And after they have some adventures, they sort of actually grow out of the imitating the original Avengers phase. And Mm -hmm. we have Billy, who goes from Asgardian to being Wiccan and forming more of his own identity, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting little character arc, and a few other characters who kind of move on from that to... In some cases, leave superheroing, and in some cases, form their own identity. Interestingly, Kate Bishop (laughs) is the only one to deliberately take on the name directly of another Avenger and become a Hawkeye, (laughs) which is a real power move.
0: Totally.
1: And in Kate Bishop's case, it is totally justified.
0: 100%.
1: And it's actually kind of funny. Around Civil War, the Runaways end up in a quote-unquote fight-slash-misunderstanding with the Young Avengers.
0: Yeah, I feel like you've mentioned that before.
1: Yeah. And they basically, like, to the Runaways, the Young Avengers are just huge teacher's pets.
0: Honestly, that makes so much sense.
1: You know, it's like, God, one of the Runaways has a line of, like, it's like, you just don't trust kids who listen to their parents' music
0: so true though yeah it's oh my god i'm I'm with them on that
1: it's great man yeah and of course the reaction the original avengers have to the young avengers is like what are you doing you're gonna get yourselves killed stop this crap hmm. and that's kind of just how they react to them for a little while and the young avengers do break up at the end of that original run although for many of them that doesn't necessarily mean retiring from superhero stuff it's interesting to me i feel like that in marvel especially but we also see this in some of the dc's teen titans and stuff where adult superheroes don't really want the kids to be doing their things and this is especially the case with the young avengers and the runaways oh for sure like with the runaways like captain america tries to get them to come into foster care and just work with the system and all that which they are resistant to doing and end up leaving. And we even see with Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe that there are several points where superheroes try to tell him to get out of the way because he's just this annoying little kid getting in the way of the Ultimates, as they were called at the time. Hmm. And when Miles Morales actually takes over for Peter, after Mm -hmm. Peter is dead slash disappeared, Yep. Um, The Ultimate Universe Captain America actually refuses to train him or help him or anything because he feels responsible for Peter's, what seemed like Peter's death in doing superhero stuff at the time, Hmm. because Captain America had originally trained Ultimate Universe Peter and all that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: And I think that's sort of a, probably comes out of what we were talking about before, where like yeah, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense for these kids to be doing this super dangerous stuff. Mm -hmm. And at least a lot of the time, the way Marvel handles it is by having the adult superheroes try to get them to stop Mm -hmm. and having the kids just be like, no, we're going to do this, and you can't really stop us. And in a lot of cases, the kids end up doing their thing anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that being... A pattern. Yeah. Except and it maybe feels... with the case of the X-Men. The X-Men
1: is weird because later on, over the course of various books and various stories, Xavier is almost recharacterized as being, I guess, a little more questionable in his morality. And mm. his almost child soldier sort of thing that he had with the original X-Men is discussed a few times.
0: That is really interesting. I would love to read that.
1: Yeah. It's no specific story I'm thinking of. It's just kind of how Xavier is reinterpreted in different stories later on. Huh. And there is a lot in the X-Men books of referring to various X-Men teams as being child soldiers and whatnot by other characters who generally may not really agree with their particular methods for one reason or another. Which is interesting in just how they're really examining that moral weirdness. Weirdness. Yeah, yeah. that's a
0: Decent acceptable word enough
1: word. It. acceptable enough word for it, yeah. And speaking of moral weirdness.
0: Yes.
1: How much do you know about the secret
0: warriors? I know they exist.
1: Yeah, okay, so the premise of Secret Warriors, which I think was one of Jonathan Hickman's first books for Marvel, huh? is Nick Fury is underground and sort of disgraced and is kicked out of S.H.I.E.L.D. and being hunted by HYDRA, etc., etc.
0: You know, as you do in comics.
1: Yep, but he has various HYDRA and other spy plots that he needs to make sure are stopped, and mm-hmm. he can't use resources like S.H.I.E.L.D. to do it. So what he does is he goes into his files for something called Project Caterpillar, I believe,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: picks out a bunch of young superheroes who have not been discovered yet, or were only recently have developed their own powers. Mm -hmm. And basically recruits them into a black ops team of superhero teenagers and young adults.
0: Yeah, no kidding about the moral weirdness part.
1: Yep. And this is not really shied away from. Nick Fury in this series and many others is basically portrayed as like willing to do pretty shady things for ends that are ultimately good. And a lot of this is just as him just being as almost supernaturally cunning and smart as he is they end up turning out well enough but it's definitely shown as like Nick Fury is ultimately on the side of good but
0: it calculates instead of a bitch nevertheless
1: absolutely and's not afraid to do things that are
0: probably bad
1: in order to do that although there are he's
0: there are lines he won't cross
1: yeah he's willing to be an asshole but he's not to the point that the reader won't ultimately at least sort of see where he's coming from
0: yeah it's like that one line from guardians of the galaxy i remember it wrong undoubtedly but john c riley's character is like yes peter admits he's an asshole but he's not and i quote a total dick or i'm getting it so 100
1: percent a but, dick
0: well, yes 100 percent a dick that was it that was it
1: yes
0: yes i feel like it's a very good summation of comics nick fury's moral code
1: yeah i think that's not inaccurate And, you know, he is very much like a almost military commander sort to these kids. He has sort of a drill sergeant persona a lot of the time because a lot of these kids are untrained and need to get their shit together to stop Hydra and all that. Yeah, fair. And Except also, ew. Yeah. And the reason he's going after these kids is because he knows that they have so recently developed powers and all that that Hydra or other possible bad organizations have not had the chance to get to them first or anything like that.
0: Oh, okay. So by recruiting them he's almost rescuing them from far worse fates with Hydra or other
1: Not necessarily. Organizations. I would say because hmm. none of them are shown to be like specifically targeted by anything bad before then.
0: But they probably would have like, been if it's they'd matter- gone like,
1: unchecked or... Maybe it seems more of a matter of if he goes to characters who already have established superpower things with the X-Men or Young Avengers, A, it would be harder to keep the whole thing quiet. And there's a lot more entanglements there.
0: Mm, yeah. And if
1: yeah. he went and just recruited like whatever adults who had superpowers he could find, there'd probably be a lot more risk of some of them ending up being traitors for the group Mm. from things that had happened in advance of that.
0: Okay. So basically the kids stand less of a chance of being corrupted but are also more easily influenced?
1: To an extent, yeah. Classy. He calls the files, I think, the Caterpillar files, and he has a base called Project Cocoon. And there's a lot of stuff about he's like not necessarily trying to turn the kids into some sort of army, but he is definitely...
0: Although the butterfly army would be a badass name. Yes. I like that. I mean, but he is trying
1: to at least shape them into not just tools for his agenda, because he's calculating but he's not heartless. Mm -hmm. You know, and he does at least want to keep these kids safe and he understands that they'll probably get hurt and some of them do, but he's not just going to throw them away on whatever callously or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, with that sort of thing established, I kind of want to circle around to the Young Justice cartoon. And this is another thing that kind of examines the, or at least touches on the moral ambiguity of the kid sidekick trope and the Mm -hmm. kid super team trope. Young Justice starts with four kid sidekicks of the Justice League, those being Robin and Kid Flash, as mentioned, And Mm -hmm. then also Aqualad and Speedy, who is Green Arrow's sidekick. And Aqualad and Speedy, I guess, were also characters who were... Speedy was part of those original Teen Titans who were all DC sidekicks. Aqualad is also, I think, a pretty old character. Mm -hmm. Although the interpretation of Aqualad in Young Justice is comparatively much newer, I think.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, you haven't seen the show, and I'm going to avoid any major spoilers for it but
0: <laughs> yeah that's what I've been on our list for a while
1: yeah the first couple episodes have the team coming together originally it's sort of a the mentor heroes bringing them to the hall of justice and there's this little ceremonial thing and the kids kind of expect that they'll be not necessarily inducted to the justice league but work with them more directly than they have Mm-hmm. And they're a little frustrated when they find out that's not really the case and the Justice League isn't really planning to work with them. Oh, yeah. I guess bring them into the fold on their major mission sort of thing. And the team of the kids end up striking out on their own for a little bit and that's how they team up with Superboy, who is a clone and there's a whole other story behind that. Okay. But what they end up doing is the adult heroes see that they want to help and are certainly capable of it and they set up the young justice team which is not called young justice at the time i don't know if it has a specific name in the series actually i don't think it does but what they end up doing is basically saying like okay we're not going to send you kids into these major cosmic threats to the world and all that up on the front lines with us what we are going to do is basically make you into